thing. He stares in the eyes of the man who despises him. Welcome to Flight 3D. This is your captain speaking. We ask that you please note the emergency exits and safety signs in the event our journey becomes just too deep. Nigga can't put a basketball down. He leaves tall super niggas in a single bound. Super niggas ain't got no degrees. He ain't got no time for that. Street corner crack houses project his natural habitat. Super nigga got super strength, speed, and agility. So it's understandable when the cops beat him down to the best of their ability. Super nigga has no supervision. Instead, he has super it's between 17 and 25 super inches used to satisfy them super With a clone little black girl who won't die but fight. With a clone little black girls who supplement stamina for endless struggles to write. With a clone little black girls like Asada, Sonia, Tubman, knowing what they know. With a clone little black girls like Nikki, Zora, Mommy, Grandma. Ain't nobody got more than us. Aspiring artists sing saliva in their palms, producing hits, making noise with their fists. Lanky limbros with afros, break beats and pop lock on dance floors, made a Let me talk to you for a second. Who you are, because the flip side of that is just you. Well, who is Kobe Bryant? Who is a little dirt? Who is you know Mike Tyson? You can run off their whole life, their nicknames, where they grew up, how many kids they got, who their kids' mothers is, where what neighborhood they come from, how much money they made in 1970. You know, you can run off all of these things about other people, but if somebody asks you who you are, that's a ah moment. You know, and it shouldn't be that way. And, and one of the, and those things is because you are somebody. Exactly. Organically, everybody Organically. is somebody. Find who you are. No, nah, definitely. You no, know, be in your purpose. Walking. So, what 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 is E the poet MC? What is his resource? But this is a resource show. What is his resource? What is well, his my first resource is the fact that I'm I'm a poet MC. No doubt. You know, which represents the cyclical nature of performance poetry, ushering in hip hop, hip hop, giving birth to the current spoken word movement. So I kind of represent that whole cycle of things. And, you know, you're talking about like young people. As a young person I grew up in a golden era of hip hop. You know, with Karis ones and Rock Kim. And mm-hmm. So as a teenager, because I just celebrated my 50th birthday on 2021. Shout out to the 50s. Yeah, I mean, you know, 50 and over, grown man. You know what I'm saying? Talk about that. You know what I'm saying? You've been doing some mentoring. But see, that's the thing. So it's, as a teenager, you know, crack era, 80s, luckily for me, there were artists who were conscientious enough to put something in the airwaves to help young people develop themselves. 
so I know the power of certain ideas of knowledge of self, self-love, community building, putting that in the art, how important that is, because that put me on the trajectory that I'm on now. So my number one resource is that I'm a, a source of information and inspiration. So that's the number one resource. So, And we have a business system around that because, you know, you can't just uh, do art without doing art business. Right. You know, you can't talk community without doing community building. Yes. You know, we don't build infrastructure around the things that we talk about. You know what I mean? We got to, you know, got to build some structure, infrastructure. So we have a, uh, a spoken word label, Real Soul Records. And you can check me out, realsoulrecords.com. Spell it. You know, G-R-I-O-T. Griot is the French word, you know, colonizer thing. But G-R-I-O-T. Expound on it. Expound huh? on okay, I'll break it down. Well, see, who's going to break it down so we'll forever be broke, brother? So in West Africa. The uh, the jelly, as it's called, mm-hmm. is the the community storyteller that that keeps together the oral tradition of the people. Mm-hmm. So they in, in stories, in satire, and whatever they're the traveling what we call today poets. But because of the the colonization of our people, right now we're speaking, we're talking about being African, we're having, but we speak in English mm-hmm. because it's the language that we were given. Right. So what is commonly known as a griot. The T is silent, so that's a French word because of the influence of the French in, in West Africa. But the West African word for it is jelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, but we speak in colonized language. We're going to get ourselves out of things, whatever language we work with. So griot is G-R-I-O-T-S, griot soul, G-R-I-O-T-S-S-O-U-L, records.com. Okay. And you can find us that same way on uh all social media, E the Poet M C E T H E P O E T M C on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. It's all the same. Right, no doubt. So what, what, where can we see you at tangibly? Like give us some, some, some spots you might be you might chill at, you might have lunch, you know. At the poet convention, I'm just talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, where can where can people find the convention? But here's the thing: we need to um, again. Right now, we're in the middle of a shutdown. You know, yeah. things are shutting down. We're about to go back into another shutdown. So the virtual space. Uh, we started Real Soul Records because uh, I've been doing spoken word for like 30 years. And the last year during the shutdown, mm-hmm. we set up Grill Soul Records to still have that same kind of impact because everybody was kind of locked in. Right. So social media it doesn't have to be the, the the negative nemesis as we make it out to be. No, it doesn't. Because it actually serves as a buffer because, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I remember years ago being able to travel to different cities was a huge hype. Right. We had social media. You know, early on in those days, like the the distance between us connecting with each other is kind of short. Right. So yeah. social media is a, is a beautiful thing. Right. And somebody could be watching us right now, streaming live. Mm-hmm. They heard me say, "Yo, I feel what you're saying." They could DM me right now while we're talking right now. Yeah. So you know, that's instant connection. I ain't, I ain't mad at social media. So you want to yeah, connect I mean, with me directly? Hit me up on social media. I'll let you know when the next show, the next thing that we putting together is. Yeah. So the the other question is, and you kind of popped the question up for me. You not a uh, original Philadelphia, and like why? What what when did Baltimore to Philly happen? How did it happen? Because oh, you got a, cause some you got woman. A, yeah, my wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Got caught up when he was silly when he didn't. I ain't never went back home, man. What you gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 And um, I did a performance at the uh, at the Clef Club. And while we're on that note, uh, make sure we're reaching out to off our support and what have you for the Clef Club because they're going through some financial things right now. Right. And we need to keep that institution so, here give, in Philadelphia. Give us a little bit about the, the Clef Club. club. So we, yeah, I, I, I never heard of it. You never heard of the Clef Club? I've never heard of it. I'm 40 years old. And that's pretty much part of, part of our... The things we got to get together. That's why we need the Philly service announcement. You know, so we can connect these people. Because like we we lose touch with each other over a five year period. So the Clef Club is one of the longest running uh, venues. It began, if I'm not mistaken, as a jazz venue. Going back to the days of Cold Train and what have you, they've been here that long. It's the Philadelphia Clef Club of Jazz. It's the Philadelphia Clef Club of Jazz. Is the official name of it. Right. And one of the one of the the founding members uh, passed away a few uh, years ago. He was a mentor of mine since I've been in Philadelphia, and we used to host a, an event called the Hustler Culture Convention, mm-hmm. where I would bring together um, performance artists, uh, community activists, community builders. Uh, was sponsored by uh, uh, Mr. Kenny Gamble, mm-hmm. um, you know, Philadelphia yeah. International, right here in Philly. So, and the Clef Club allowed us to do it there. You know, so the Clef Club is one of the longest-running uh, black-owned, black-centered venues in the country, really. But uh, definitely, definitely a Philadelphia situation is right there on Broad Street in uh, South Philly. Right. So definitely, uh, but I was on a performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to know your history. You got to right? know your history. Because everything you find yourself in the middle of, like right now, like one of the things like my mentor told me when I was a teenager. It's like, don't Christopher Columbus everything. It's like nothing exists until you discover it. Right. You know, something was already going on before you got there. So as a teenager, I'm noticing, like, you know what? The police are trying to kill us and da 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 We need to do something about this. It's like, with the thing, the first time, that's not a revelation, young man. Right, right. So you need to hit yourself on to the whole trajectory of things that's already been happening. Exactly. You know what I mean? So you have some resources and some knowledge of what's going on. Because, exactly. like, you know, like they say, young men for war, but old men for counsel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, younger people they, are ready to... Say that to them again. So, yeah. you know, I understand I like what that, why the energy it is, what yeah, it is. I, like but I feel it. like a part of what you what you saying in that moment is like, yo, young boys got the energy. Yeah. But because we don't know our history, right? because we don't, we, we don't have that counsel, that energy being used for a lot of destructive, pernicious things. Right. You know and what that's I'm saying? Why, and that's why it's, it's, you know, when the elders, because, you know, young people are going to be young people. And old people have been young people. So you already know with moving young people, but they've never had an opportunity to be old. Right. So if anybody needs to take more of the weight of that broken down relationship, it's the elders. Mm-hmm. But now you have elders who are shrieking, you know, who are shirking their elder responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, adult men and women. We're in this perpetual teenage thing now. Yeah. You know, where it's like, you know, it, it's slick to be. 40 years old, but act like you're 17. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the that new slip. Whole, you know, 30 is the new 20. Yeah. Everybody. is the new 40. Yeah. So, <laughs> 60 is the new 50. So, right. so we're in a country. I'm going backwards. Yeah, I called it 
living your second childhood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to live your second childhood. Yeah, and we worship, this country here perpetuates that people worship you. Yeah. And and disrespect getting it's old. The right. So and everybody wants to. It should be the other way of like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Like, we, that is one of the problems mm-hmm. that we are faced with as a community. Right. The respect of the elder population, the respect of our elders. Like, the, the younger generation a lot of times don't understand that the older generation went through a lot of things, so y'all don't have to. Y'all don't need to. You know what I mean? But we say that, but we got to look at it. If the same conditions exist, that, you know, police brutality, I remember, you know, being a young black man in Baltimore, the police used to swarm down on us. Oh, yeah. Now I'm 50 years old, the police still swarming down on us. So I'm not in a place to tell a teenager to not respond to that thing like, you know, like we already did that, no? Well, how come if y'all did it, how, where, how come I'm still in this kind of situation? Well, yeah, not, and when you, when you say it like that, I definitely understand where you come from. Mm-hmm. When you have societal issues that we are facing as a people, you know, that is one thing that we're going to continue to fight, and we're going to have Absolutely. to fight that together. Right. But when you're talking about our culture and our families, and our youth and the elders and the things that we are teaching the younger generation, those are the things that I said that I mean when I say we did certain things so you don't have to. Right. You know what I mean? Like we can't, what is being projected on us or what is being put on us by society, we want to face that generation after generation because that's what's out here. You know what I mean? But as a family, you know, it starts in the home, when we're raising our kids, when we're raising our nieces and nephews, and they're looking up to us, it's certain things that we want to show them to let them know that, okay, I went through this. You don't have to. We both going to face police brutality. You know what I mean? We both going to face oppression. Because this is what is being put on us. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how we're being, this is what, this is they're trying to do to us. You know what I mean? But as we keep educating our children and their children and, you know, the revolution, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> listen. Nah, listen, I definitely, I just, I, it's, 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 it's a thing that I, I definitely been through a lot with, with folks our age, you know what I'm saying? with being able to take that accountability, with us being able to take that accountability where you do have certain folks that be like, you didn't see me go through this, you didn't hear me saying this, and and it's like, well, apparently we didn't do a good enough job. Because I can say that, and it would be true, but then we got to take the accountability of, well, I got to change the way that I'm showing you how this went down because you're not it. Mm -hmm. And we have to be mindful of, what we are facing to try to get them that information. I think that I think that's I think that's big, a bigger problem than them not understanding what we already what our wisdom is. Mm-hmm. Our wisdom is in competition with what's on TV, what they putting in the music. You know what I'm saying? But that's the thing. It's like we have to uh, we keep giving the wisdom in the same way. When the enemy of the wisdom that we want to give, they step up their game. Right. Because the, the name of the game has always been, well, you know, keep them distracted. Keep right. them distracted with something. Keep them distracted with something. 
but we tend to want to do things the same way that we did it. Because right. whatever you did 10 years ago, like this was effective, you can't do that 10 years as effective. You got to find the, the new modern up-to-date manner in which to do that because everything else changes. Do you feel, do you feel like it's a lot of us, just, just because we, we face in a lot of the same ills all over the world. If you if you somebody of African descent, mm-hmm. we catch a hell everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it looks a little bit different, but the same culprit usually is the one that's, you know, turning the fires on for us to be catching hell. But right. the thing I want to know is, do you feel like one of our issues, especially in America, is we trying to be comfortable with our oppression? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After a while, it, it, it's difficult for us to even see ourselves outside of that oppression. Exactly. When, you know, and that's, when I listen to, you know, when I listen to hip-hop, you know, I remember that was a vehicle that it was like, you know, this is counterculture. Mm-hmm. This is what the mainstream is doing. We're going to have a whole bunch of separate conversations over here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? So now... It's like it's not even a counterculture conversation. It's almost like someone's giving you a script. Messaging. Yeah. It's messaging to perpetuate the same thing. Mm-hmm. Even, even if you yourself are like now, okay, so you're a global star, you're in France, you're seeing other things, but you're going to keep perpetuating the same kind of ideas to keep everybody in a, in a certain kind of space. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, like we just, we got we to gotta break up that, that being comfortable with, with, with oppression right. mm-hmm. in a manner in which we are comfortable with oppression. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's like a foreign concept to, like, fight against just like, you know, well, this is just what life is. Yeah. You know, this is just what life is. You know, in my, when I was a teenager, being a drug addict wasn't slick. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you know, I'm a pop a pill. Like, how many pills I'm popping? Like, Right. I was watching a, a documentary on Juice World. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I, I, I heard about it. I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, it was very sad to watch. Like, this is a young man, you know, before the age of 25, man. He's, like, he's, he's taking six, seven, eight perks a day. Like, he's just perking up. Like, he just – and eventually he died, and it's like no one – like, oh, wow, I don't know that, how that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like we're not giving young people – knowing that these kind of things are going on, like, uh, I work at a school. I work at Alliance of Progress Charter School in North Philly. Okay. And we have what we call SEL in the morning. We have social and emotional learning where we discuss, like, stealing, how to, how to deal with your emotions, how to deal with depression. Like, we got to have these conversations. Have an emotional intelligence. Yeah. We have, from K to 8, from kindergarten, we're having these conversations with young people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, again, my son goes to, like, my youngest son. And, you know, he, he's nine. And I'm sitting there with him in class today. We virtual. I'm sitting there like, damn, I wish I had this when I was his age. Because right. no one ever asked me, like, how are you actually mm-hmm. feeling? Yeah. Like, you know, what are you feeling? Like, I was going through depression and, you know, yeah. like isolation. And yeah. I was suicidal, didn't know it. Like, mm-hmm. I, was, I was just, yeah. you know, but no one had these kind of conversations. Right. Oh, so, we, you know, so now all we have more resources now mm-hmm. to solve any problem. We can get funding for any problem, but if the elders don't buy in, because mm-hmm. the children won't be children, mm-hmm. but when the elders don't buy in, when the parents don't buy in, that's where the problem is. Right. That's, yeah. something, that's something that's big to me if you're serious about 
changing lives, right? You made you just made a point. You said the the school that I teach at, my son goes there. Yeah. And one of the telltale signs for me that somebody not serious about where they work is right. if it involves anything with your family, your finances, your comfortability, and you not doing it at your place of work. Yeah. Then this place is a sham, and then at the end of the day, you a sham. Absolutely. So, I, and, and I bring and that that sticks out to me because I just took my daughter out of daycare, mm-hmm. and the director got three kids, all daycare age. None of them go None to the daycare that she's the director of. Message. So that was a telltale <laughs> sign for us. Like, nah, she gotta go. And then it it, it was a trend right. because we talked to one of the supervisors that's there every day. She like two. Daycare age kids. Mm-hmm. One, 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 one just turned one, and one was about to turn four. They don't go there. Mm-hmm. Mommy come here every day, but they go somewhere else. So it was like mm-hmm. that allows me to know instantly if you believe in what you're saying, you believe in. Right. If your kids don't go or are not in these neighborhoods that you say you love so much, that you got so much clout about, but y'all in the suburbs, your kids go to private school, but you keep telling me about this neighborhood. Mm. You know, so it, it expands across a lot of different places. It's like you love Philadelphia so much, but you live in Delaware. Mm. Your family live in Delaware. Whether you a cop, a politician, a teacher, Good you point. can't tell me you believe in somewhere where you're not at. But you work there. But that's I feel like that goes into the comfortable with your oppression, Joe. Right. You trying to convince people of something that's not really real because you don't even believe it. Right. It's like saying that you work at a McDonald's, but your kids don't eat McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I don't think people who own McDonald's actually eat it. Now, that's anecdotal, yeah. but I don't believe I don't think they I, do. We need to find that, that out. I, I, don't don't that. I think we need to find <laughs> that out because that's the way it. we can start telling these stories. If it. you telling me to take something, right, that we're talking about medicine, if you don't bring your mom to this hospital, why would I bring mine? If you don't bring your kids to this hospital and you work here, you a nurse here, Whatever the case is, that that's something we really need to start calling people on. Cause that's a big that yo, that's a big point. You saying that to me is like, okay, that school must be about something. Now that I know you and I'm listening to what you're saying to me, I'm like, okay, the school probably dope. If if, if my brother did, yeah. you know what I mean. But then when he say, then when he say, well, my son go there too. And this is and and it even goes back to my when I was in elementary school. I remember. My sixth grade teacher, her son was in our class. Mm. You feel what I'm saying? So I, so I, 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 my mom probably knew this, and I didn't know. I, I picked it up later on in life. Like Miss Stewart, I remember her name. You know what I mean? Because I had revolutionary teachers when I went to me elementary. You know what I'm saying? From kindergarten to sixth grade, and you could tell. But the real telltale sign was Alfred. That was his name. Sat right next to me. So I knew I was, I, I learned this later, but I knew I was getting the best education that this black woman could give me because her son sat right next to me. You understand what I'm saying? And that's one of the reasons why now that I'm older and I say those are the last, those were revolutionary teachers. I'm not going to say they were the last because I'm big on teachers are revolutionaries. You know what I'm saying? Especially those teachers that look. Now, there's a lot of them that, you know, not a lot of them, it's some because I don't know the actual number. But it's um, that, that they sell and they sold. You know, that's a part of capitalism. And I say all this to lead into that because I want to ask you, how does that play a part to everything that you've done said thus far? Part. Capitalism. How does capitalism? <laughs> Yo, you, you blink your eyes like, what? I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, man, it's like, we, you know, we get caught up in, uh, 
white people's power structure. Mm-hmm. And we think that we're going to trade one for the other and all these sort of things. Bottom line is, man, we got to be us no matter where we at. If I was in a socialist government, I'd be socializing the hell out of that situation right. and bringing my people up. If I'm in a capitalist situation, I'm a bounce and flip the situation but not drink the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We drink the Kool-Aid. The main aspect of uh, capitalism for us is conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. They want us to consume. Just spend, 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 spend. All them stimulus checks, mm-hmm. that wasn't because they love us. No. It's like, oh, the economy's suffering. Get them some money so they go spend some money. That's what keeps this thing going. They got to keep buying. So they put out entertainers, our artists, because they know, like, our cultural workers are, like, the key to everything. Like, they know that we have, like, a a, a divine connection to art. They know know that regardless, you look at the the freedom struggles, the cotton, cotton seals, since we've been here, art has been in the center of what drives us. If the art mm-hmm. goes this way, we going that way. Mm-hmm. If the art goes that way, we going that way. So you look at popular black art, you see the the popular trends with black people. Mm-hmm. So they got us, you talk about capitalism, the whole thing is like, yo, look what I got, look what I can spend money on. As poor as we are, we're in the strip club just throwing money away. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to the sisters that's taking it up because they, you know, they raking. You know, <laughs> I'm all for that. It's a part of the system. Sister, get, get the money. Right. But, but at what cost? Right. What does she got to do to get that money? Right. And why, and why, why is that, what is this, why is that the motion though? Why is the motion like this money is so worthless, I'm just throwing it away. Mm-hmm. And then she has to bend down and pick it up. Yeah. Like, what do we, what do we communicate? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We communicate. So that's capitalism one-on-one right there. That's the funny thing about that, too. Like, uh, a couple of years ago, I used to have that conversation a lot, like, when the whole uh, making it rain was yeah. a thing. And I, yeah. I, I, I would ask certain brothers, and we would have real good conversations about it, but I would ask, I was like, how did they make it? So that, like you said, we doing bad. Like, yeah. especially the cats I'm, we the cats I'm locked up with. Like, I know oh, black, I know all black people ain't broke. I know all black people right. not downtrodden. But I'm just saying, if we doing, if we struggling the way we struggling, why is blowing the bag the the, the thing? How does that make any sense? How does blowing the bag make sense when we hurting, when we hit? I don't. And, and like you said. The mindless consumerism. That's what they want. And that's what the schools are turning us into as well. That's, that's what they're teaching That's the whole make. point of education. That's, yes. that's what we're taught. Every situation exactly. in America is about getting a bag. Right. Our most intelligent, see, once upon a time was our most uneducated folks mm-hmm. who were just like, I just want to get some money, da, da, da. Now that's the message from college professors, entertainers, scientists, that everything that's being spoken is, Grab, get as much money as you can to throw it away. Right. That's the that's a perpetuated message with us. So mm-hmm. you're not doing anything till I can see right. how much money you're making. Mm-hmm. Like I talk to some of the young people, they oh Miss Marmot, I mean you know you getting it? Okay, I see what you okay, what you doing? You getting it? Mm-hmm. I said how would you know if I'm getting it or not? How would you know? It's a show. Because Mister <laughs> So and So got on the easy. I said I don't mean he getting it. That means he 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 threw it away. Threw it away. <laughs> he ain't getting it. He ain't got it no more. You see it? Publishing. Okay. And I 
Uh, years ago, I created this thing called the Master Real Project to create a viable industry for spoken words. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just said, the only thing I know is marketing. And for spoken word artists, to me, they were really nice to me. For people to just come give you their gift. Because mm-hmm. I value artists. And I started my marketing with visual artists, and I was marketing with the Bushfire Theater. And so, you know, art, you know, that's worth a lot. And they would just come do my little shows, and they would be, I was like, well, I don't have nothing to give them. Let me try marketing. But then, you know, I'm research-based. I was like, I got to figure out what is the spoken word industry because I couldn't understand at that time why Black Ice became popular, why they chose him. When I was in a company of people like Dr. Kamika Williams, Witherspoon, this woman named Queen, she was out of Atlanta, but these people, in no disrespect to um, Ice now, and he'll tell you right now, they would wipe up the floor with him, especially then. He, this was in the 90s. They, these people are phenomenal, and I'm like, well, why did he make it and they didn't? Mm-hmm. So then I went back to study the industry, and then it's like, well, it's not really no industry, and I was just trying to figure this thing out. But um, in that, everything comes to you for a reason, and I believe, you know, I believe we're all vehicles, all messengers, and I really got to know people in the spoken word, you know, community. I've been studying the art thing, and then I've been 10 years taking care of my mind with Alzheimer's, but I've always worked with people from <coughs> House Umoja, worked with them since 2003, like I said, Mark Lewis at Bushfire. We've had our own black theater company since 2000. Mm. Um, and it's still active, and so, you know, that's just my mood apparent. Um, that's just me, and that's how I basically came to get to know E from his performance and everything, but I watch him. I'm also a real business person, and in order to grow an industry, there's certain elements, and he puts in these elements, and like he said, he just, just because everybody did it that way, he don't mind doing something different. Right. And I first, my first roadblock was that poets didn't believe there existed a spoken word industry. That's wow. That was the biggest thing. And, and biggest like, thing. How, is, how can my vision I had in 2003 still not have yet come to fruition? And we are in almost 2020. Wow. And what things I saw, I, I stopped speaking it to people because they look at me like I was crazy. But you know, my mom has passed on. I learned all these lessons. It's still given to me. I got clarity. And so I said, I'm picking it back up. Wow. And I think I'm, you know, just from the marketing, I'm starting with a, a magazine, a blog that gets me to SEO. It allows me to begin, get out. Um, I'm really storing it. Oral history. So here we go. The Grio, the study in the Grio, the jelly. Mm-hmm. Now, the jelly is so important in Mali, West Africa that there has to be a warrior king that protects that system. Mm-hmm. When we came here as slaves, the first thing they did was separate us, then beat us if we spoke our language and tried to keep our culture. Mm-hmm. So when I was hearing spoken word artists, and they're all kind of artists. I, I'm actually a little poet myself. That was my extra credit, English and math. Geek always through school, so I know one that they be yelling and shorter sutta, or you know, all of these different poetic things. But the other poets that really spoke in rain, they were very historical based, 
Right. So there was like brothers keepers, and I'll just sit and listen and learn things that we talk. You learn things about your culture, and right. to me, they are. For me, they were the modern day griot. Right. It may not be the griot in Africa, right. the pictures, the way they look, but they were teaching. They're right. carrying the culture. These and artists are the storytellers and the keepers of our culture in any society that allows the concept of a starving artist is crazy. Because mm-hmm. when we leave. When we're dead and gone, only thing that's going to tell our story is the art and the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's why I get upset with my poets that don't record. Because I've also, worked, by working at the House of with boys and all, I've like slid in just great things just while we ride into a trip. And like, oh, I'm a jack. Who that? Who that? You see minds and things change from words. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to say it because if I say, hey, you got to listen to this, they're going to, you right. know, not like it. Mm-hmm. So I know the power of change. But when they deny us access, and then when we start denying access, we got the Internet, and we're right. talking against it like it's bad. No. And then we exactly. even go talk about the gangster hip-hop like it's so bad, and then the elders start confusing gangster hip-hop with all of hip-hop, and didn't know hip-hop is what saves us and what can save these kids, whether you're in church or wherever. And But they talk against everything, and we saw these blanket things, and we like we talk about niggas and flies, and we all, you know, we say things, but we don't understand these blanket statements. Exactly. Right. And then we don't get offended as women. I love Binky, but you ain't going to call me a bee but so many times before I get mad. In my day, two things would get you in the street, fighting. (laughs) Call me a bee or talk about my mama. That was just like how we grew up. And that's the thing that... that, So we need the grill. We need those stories. And that's the thing that, that, and the point that I'm definitely not going to forget, and you just added to it, was when you said what the schools were made for. Right. Just so y'all know that that's not something he just made up or something that he's seen over time, research Mohawk Conference. Mohawk is an island off of the coast of New York City. They had a, excuse me, they had a conference. White folks always have conferences when they raise their heads and shit up. I'm just letting like, <laughs> y'all know. You can go back to the Benign Conference, the Council of Nike, all that. They always have a conference when they about to do some wild shit. So <laughs> the Mohawk Conference, was a conference about the beginnings of school, what school would be. And it happened 1889 to 1891. Look it up. So when this brother says that, that's a real history. People really sat and thought, how are we going to educate these schools? What do we want to get out of them through the education that we're giving them? And then it goes to the point that, that my, my, my sister just made as far as the griot being protected. Because one of the first things they come in and destroy when they want to take you over is the library. The learned men get killed first. The, the, the halls of education get burnt down first. So you're looking at a thing where she's, she's explaining how important this brother is because this is something that people already understand. Education is a tool. They use education as a tool to get what they want out of you. But they also understand the importance of education that when you want to take a people over, you got to destroy their education base, their information base first, and switch that to whatever you want it to be. And you're seeing it in real time. And then one more thing, just to give us our props, turn the entertainment to art, because we understand the importance of what art is, what it can do for our people when she says, we educate. 
We enlighten. We 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 give people their spirituality through. We give people everything through our art. That's why Lil Dirk can make. And Lil Dirk ain't nothing wrong. Lil Dirk, he a black man doing what he got to do to make sure he's good. I just use his name a lot because it comes up and he's popular. But they understand the importance of Little Dirk being able to use his art to push a message, right. even if Little Dirk don't understand. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I get the feeling from listening to some of his more recent stuff, just to give him his props, he's starting to understand it because he's from Chicago, and Chicago got a, a vicious history to allow you to know yeah. what to do with the proper message. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the thing is I'm about counterculture, mm-hmm. you know, and when you were talking about spoke more industry, the re- the the problem with that is, like you know, we because we're talking about hip hop as well, right? Mm-hmm. But we're talking about we don't understand. A lot of us don't really know like like the history of of hip hop as a, um, a insular culture, a counterculture of mm-hmm. its own, and then hip hop as an industry, because hip hop had a, a ten year performance history before the first rap record. Right. Yeah, the first yeah. rap record came out in 1979. Hip-hop has been going on since 71, 72, mm-hmm. starting in the South Bronx and then moving out throughout the borough, even sliding down here in Philly, Jersey. Like, things people were doing hip-hop. Hip-hop wasn't a uh, an industry based on recorded records. Mm-hmm. It, it was a happening. Yeah. You know, DJs come out, people come out, food come out. Rappers come out, dancers come out. It was a happening. Hip hop was a happening. So spoken word is a happening. So when you start to try to commodify it, we got to be careful on how it's commodified because the the rap record was a facsimile of what was actually happening. You know, the first rap records were recorded with like live bands. Right. You know, Sugar Hill Gang, Grandmaster. Those those were bands, and the rappers try to rap over the band mm-hmm. to get that energy of what was happening with the DJ and the two turntables and the microphone, but it, it was a facsimile of what actually was happening. Right. So it becomes a little weaker than the actual thing. Mm-hmm. So the early proponents of hip-hop were like, well, hip-hop were like, I don't know about some rap records. Because the rappers are like, the very first official rap records were made by people who weren't actually in the culture. Mm-hmm. They weren't actual rappers in the hip-hop world. Right. Big Bang, Bang mm-hmm. Hank. Was uh, uh, Grandmaster Kaz's manager, a real rapper's manager, and he gave him his rhyme book and he made the record. Right. So, you he know, it's a trap song. Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's like, you know, they weren't even part of the culture. So when they came out, it's like, well, who are these guys? Right. So, likewise, when you say, you know, mention certain um, artists mm-hmm. who were like on Death Poetry Jam, for instance, that became, for those of us who were doing it, you know, it was like, okay, there's a handful of people there. I know that guy. I know her. She's dope, but that's not her best work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was done a certain way for TV, but that's not what we're doing in the spot. No. Right. So people think poetry is this thing like this. Yeah, but when we yeah. actually yeah. ask you, yeah, right, right. you know what I mean? That. You don't know. I'd be standing in front of thousands, but I'm rocking. Like, it's, it's, like yo, we, we, we throw it's down. Like, yeah, like candles and yeah. all that little color. <laughs> like, we get into it. Right? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a little rawer than that. Absolutely. So, but the thing is, but, when, but we had the opportunity. But but here's the thing, mm-hmm. women. So when that thing happened, mm-hmm. people start saying, "Oh, I want that," but that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like you have that, and the opportunity we create the opportunity. The problem is, like I've always said, like the the business infrastructure around what it is that we're doing, like with Real Soul Records, 
the artists that I'm working with, right, my first thing is you're going to do what you do. Then I'm going to figure out how to package what you're doing and put it somewhere where it could be uh, digested and interacted with, but I'm not changing nothing that you're doing. Even the manner in which Mm -hmm. I record, like you see Shite, I'm not recording uh, the very dope North Philly. No, I had it on here. I don't record Shite. Like, here's the music, and go in there and start spitting to the music. No, I record mm-hmm. Shite, you do what you do. Then I create music around what he does. That's right. always with the words. The right. words always come first. Right. right. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we get so caught up in, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a weirdo. I'm just saying who I am. I don't always see things the way everybody sees. And the things I've come up with since a, a very little child, I've had ideas I've seen come to million dollars tuition. So I know things are possible, and things don't have to be just the way. So, like, when I say an industry, I mean, one, not, we know it's a self-industry of many different things. Right. But that's the one thing. We do have the opportunity to take and make things ours and manifest our way, and it doesn't have to be mainstream. Right. Like, that's the one thing the Internet is giving us an opportunity. It don't have to be mainstream, and I don't think it should be mainstream. <clears throat> And I agree with you. Like, if I'm with a poet, you go in the studio, don't ever go in the studio with somebody, a producer that does not respect spoken words. Because they will never give you. Yeah, and they will never give you their best. I I don't, I I love good conversation. But I don't want to miss the fact that this is TSA, Philly Service Announcement. (laughs) And we have to get to our Say Her Name segment. But this is very vital. This is very important. We cannot miss that. So, you know, without further ado, you know, the queen. We'll get right back to it. Um, And I'm sure y'all got some good points. Absolutely. I I definitely want to get the feedback because I love the feedback. I always drop a little history on why we do say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, we started saying her name from a, a show we were talking about intersectionality um, and that point of intersectionality where black women are being discriminated against because they're women and they're also being discriminated against because we're black. And there are a lot of industries where this happens. It happens in the health industry. It happens, at, you know, at your job. Um, but one of the one of the things that came out of this was, and this came from, you know, a bunch of uh, news, just a lot of reporting and, you know, on the killings of black men at the hands of police. But there were black women dying at the hands of police, and it wasn't really being talked about. You get one woman here and there, Brianna Teller, you know, Sandra Bland. Mm-hmm. But in between those two women, there's like 50 other black women that died at the hands of the police. Mm-hmm. So we well, wanted to say her name so that we, so it's talked about, so it's shared, because we can't forget about these black women that are dying too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the concepts that came about is I'm going to look up and I'm going to find black women who, you know, have died at the hands of the police, whether they were in police custody and died from lack of treatment or care, or they were killed or beaten or whatever. They just died in police custody or at the hands of the police. So today I want to talk about um, a young lady. um, Her name is Alicia Thomas. And this was in Los Angeles. Um, And in 2013, I believe, um, 
Yeah, I believe it was 2013. So Miss Alicia Thomas was a young black woman who struggled with addiction. And she took her children to the police station because she couldn't properly care for them anymore. So she turned her children over to police and basically said, you know, I'm struggling out here. She got this drug addiction. She can't care for them. She can't take care of her kids. So she turned them over to police. So she went back home. The police showed up at her door to arrest her for child endangerment. And between arresting her and taking her to the car, they say she resisted arrest, and they began forcing her to the car and kicked and beat her while she was on the ground in her groin area, just abusive to her. And um, she died. So here it is, a black woman who's struggling with addiction, and she did what she thought was a good thing to do, was to take her children and turn them over to the police because she couldn't care for them no more. And then police come back, lock her up, and say she refused, um, she was resisting arrest, and they beat her, and they, they beat killed her. They beat her to death. They killed her. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that always that, that weighs heavy on me a lot of times, you know, when people be like, she was uh, addicted to drugs, you know what I'm saying? And we all know, you know, when black folk are addicted to drugs, it's a crime. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But when Absolutely. white people are addicted to drugs, it's an it's a, it's a, uh, issue. It's, right. It's, it's a medical it's issue. A, it's a medical it's issue. A you know what I'm issue. Mm-hmm. And it needs treatment. Mm-hmm. And right. That's the, and that's the same thing. Exactly. Treatment is the most important part of the distinction between how we get treated when it's drug addiction versus how white folks, other folks get treated when it's drug addiction. Drug addiction, black people, we're criminals. We're criminals. White people, drug addiction, they're sick and ill and need treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're a criminal, and when you're a criminal, uh, the cops get the right to be judge, jury, and executioner if they're, you know, like he said, hip-hop was a happening. If they think something is happening, if they assume something is happening where they can say that you're being a criminal, we can do whatever we want to do to you. Right. And that, that's the thing about her going, and it's a, it's a whole bunch of other things that you can point to. If she suffered from bipolar schizophrenia, that's something that you probably right. seen when she brought those children there. Right. Without her even saying nothing, without you being a medical professional, because we like to say, well, if they were trained, a lot of times when you see people in crisis, you can see it. You can see it. And as a cop, even if you haven't been trained, you deal with folks in these states so much, you can see it. You know the difference. So my thing is, like, with these two classifications being out there, right? You know, because for real, for real, none of that really matters because her life is supposed to matter, and I ain't going to yeah, get into all of that. But I'm just saying, with those two classifications, you clearly can tell or know that she was on drugs. You clearly can tell or know that she was she was in crisis. Because this woman, this black woman, brought her kids her children to the police station. Right. To the police station. And that's not something you see black women doing. And the, right. the thing that's, that's not the norm. It's, 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 first of all, we're not. Exactly. So the question 
which never happened. It was accusations. Mm. And they accused her. Nobody nobody sat and thought, what is going on with this woman that she would come bring her children to the police station and just give them up and say, I and, can't take care of them. And I, I would think I would think once that happened, how you dealt with her after that with everything would change. You know what I'm saying? If she brought if she brought her kids there, when you going to arrest her or whatever you think is the right thing to think, the mindset would change. Okay, she brought her kids, so now we probably need to deal with her a certain way because she brought she already brought her. This is after the fact. She died after the fact, not in we coming to get the kids from her. She might be endangering these kids in real time, so we got to deal with her a certain way to protect the children. She already brought the kids to the police station, so y'all should already have a... To me, it's like, okay, if she brought the kids to the police station and turned her children over to the police and she was at the police station, why y'all ain't just arresting her right then and there if she did something so bad and criminal? You see what I'm saying? She went home. And then some other police mm-hmm. came out. And you know it's always the good cop, bad cop, you know, that scenario. And felt as though, okay, we're going to take you down now, and we're going to arrest you for child endangerment. My thing, my thing, to, my thing even more to that, you know, her taking the children is now investigate, an investigation starts. Because that's why, you know, that's the reason why y'all would go arrest her. Because y'all have investigated some things. So that, that again, even leads more to how would she wind up dead? If y'all got an opportunity, y'all had a time frame where y'all could investigate some things. Y'all could see, well, what's going on with this woman? And do she already have a criminal history? And I, it, just, it goes back to the same thing all the time. Like, if you, you know, this is criminal. This is scary. This is subhuman. This is, you know. Man, woman, or child, if this is what's going on, you you're a threat because it's not value. You know, we we created these these institutions that make people and you know, criminal justice system, police stations, policing, all of that is an institution that lives off of the same thing. That black folk don't matter. That black folk are for crime costs money. We want black folk to be doing these things so we can keep jobs. We treat black folk how we treat them because we've been told that somewhere along the line we are superior, we 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 are of more value, and if their skin is dark enough, they don't have a value. Nobody's coming. To, nobody's going to care that you did this to them. And and an example has to be set because I also believe that these are public lynchings. Mm-hmm. Examples are being set that y'all better calm down because we kill y'all women too. We kill y'all kids too. Because look, in all honesty, we fear the black man. We don't value the black woman. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like it's 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 they don't value our lives, but they fear the black man. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's okay for them to talk about and share the killings of black men and not the killings of black women is because, okay, look, we don't value the black women, but the black men value the black women, and we fear them. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about the black women. We're just going to talk about the black men that's being killed. 
But we fear these black men. But these black men love a black woman. We can't talk about that because then what? Then what? We get an uproar. We already fear y'all. You see what I'm saying? No, definitely. It's already a fear. They, we are already. Listen, and, and it's, it's, it's really sad. I was just having a conversation earlier about my son and the school system and the, the pipeline from school to jail, and I'm already having conversations with my son's teachers at 10 years old where I'm using that word, where I'm saying the school to jail pipeline is real. You know what I mean? Because well, my it's made to replace slavery. Old. We do know that the prison system was made to replace slavery. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Absolutely. But it's, it's the same, though. I mean, like my oldest told me when I was a teenager, your outrage needs to be tempered with your understanding. Mm-hmm. Right? It will be more outrage for these type of incidences if these were new, isolated incidents, mm-hmm. right? So my question always with people, when we start dealing with police brutality, I'm like, yeah, this is an outrageous situation. Tell me the dates in American history where we didn't have this same type of relationship yeah. with the police department. Right? Mm-hmm. There is no date. So from the beginning and the inception of the police department and policing black people, this has always been the thing. Mm -hmm. So at different points in history, our response to this type of thing has been different. One is because there's always offense and defense. Right. Offensively speaking, knowing that these are going to be the relationship, we know this is not a governing body to be trusted, to not be interacted with to as much as you could possibly not interact, right? Right. Offensively, how we dealt with one another, self-policing, starting in the home, mm-hmm. starting in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. was at a premium. Right. We had to solve at different points. I remember in my history, at different points, we, we solved certain situations in our own neighborhood to not have them people come into our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Because if it got that far, so we're going to have to handle this ourselves. By the time they come, anything can happen. We already know. And a lot of us don't know that. But the thing is, and that's the thing, we, most of the owners, because they're going to do what they are going to do. Most of our conversation is centered around how these people see us. White people don't value black people. Let's discuss more and more and more. Another example of how white people don't, don't love us. See this? That's another example. That's exactly. discrimination, brother. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to... Okay, so when we get to a point where we already made a decision that for the nine times out of ten, our interacting with them and the bodies they set up to deal with us are not going to be good. Mm-hmm. The medical profession towards black people is murder. Mm-hmm. Education towards black people is murder. Mm-hmm. Everything towards the food in your supermarket exactly. towards black people mm-hmm. is murder. Yeah, absolutely. So we already... So knowing that, I raised my children. My oldest daughter is 28. My youngest child is nine years old. Mm-hmm. My nine-year-old could come in here and break down to you. It's not a new conversation right. about racism. Mm-hmm. I explained as soon as he could talk, mm-hmm. this is what it is going to be as a black man. Not 
Like, you're going to be victimized. You're going to be a victim. You're going to da-da-da. Mm-hmm. They don't like us. They're going to do this to you, da-da-da. Don't bombard the children with that. Mm-hmm. You arm them with Carter G. Woodson and the Miseducation of the Negro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That education is teaching someone, giving someone the tools that they need to build with the reality that they're actually in. Yeah. That is education. Mm-hmm. So as a parent, it's your responsibility to be educated mm-hmm. about how the world works. We don't have enough time to be sitting around and be outraged at, they said niggas. <laughs> we, we ain't got that kind of time. Because if you take that kind of time, that's less time you've been training and teaching your children. Yeah. My daughter, like, she's 28 now. She's like, I thought you were just doing some super-duper racist shit when I was a baby. <laughs> Everything was like, yeah, the white man, this, and the white man, hey, watch them. Oh, see, I said, see this? But it kept her head on the swivel. Exactly. Uh, kept her head on the swivel. Uh, and then when uh, first thing happened, oh, oh, I don't see it. I know what's about to Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Exactly. Not, not just survive. 
no, 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 don't just say that. Because that's, that's victim stuff. We're going to survive because we're in a fight. We're going to survive what we're going to win. Mm-hmm. We're going to win. You may not physically win. I might not physically win. But we, but we're going to win. Right. So you do your part while you're here to give someone else something to stand on so they can continue to fight. The struggle continues. Yo, I love what I do, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Philly service announcement. Love, support, and grace. Social activism, resources, art. That's what we're doing out here. We are. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate yes. it, man. Thank that you. was very good. Yes. That was awesome. Yes. Woo! Yeah.